Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you are still making your way to your seats. I hate to be rude, but I hate to be late even worse. So um, appreciate everyone coming this evening. We've got a very special evening in store. A lot of good things, including uh, these are not angels up here, although that's arguable maybe in one sense they are. But we have nine people who are following the Lord in obedience and baptism this evening. Uh, that'll take place toward the end of the service and a lot of good things between now and then. Let me remind you of a couple of things. One of them is that this time next Sunday night, can you believe it's Palm Sunday? We just had the missionary conference here, and it seems like maybe a long time before the Easter season is on us, but it's not. In your bulletin, you have an insert that says Mighty Cross. That's going to be, it advertises on it, a worship experience led by our sanctuary choir, praise team, and instrumental ensemble. That's right here, 6.30 next Sunday night. A time of singing praise and all of us get to enjoy the hard work that a lot of others have put into this in talking about the mighty cross. So I encourage you to come and use this as an invitation to some others who may not know about this that you can make known to them. Also, we started a visitor's new members class today. It's not too late next Sunday if you'd like to join us. It's in room 119, the large conference room on the other side of the chapel. If you've been attending church for up to about six months, uh, then we'd encourage you to come and, and learn more if you're interested in joining. And one other announcement I'd like to stress, we have our Easter egg hunt that is coming up this next Saturday. And if you would like to help out, and we've got a lot of needs, there is a table just before you get to the nursery in the hallway out here. We've got some plastic eggs that we're asking for you to take. Fill them with candy, and you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of candy to fill up one of those plastic eggs. You can't fit a whole lot in there, no matter how hard you try. But if you can fill up a bunch of them and bring them back before Saturday, we'll be using them, or get your own plastic eggs and bring them in filled with candy, that would be great. Plus that, you can sign up to help out in a lot of other ways. There are a lot of needs for next Saturday, and it's a great community outreach, and we encourage you to be a part of that. Will you join me now in prayer as we commit our time tonight to the Lord? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're not a God of accidents or coincidences, that you've scheduled an appointment for each one of us to be here tonight to hear what it is that you have to say. And we're going to hear the scriptures as they're presented, some of them in song, as we turn directly to your word. And as we hear testimonies of those who know and love you and desire to follow you in the waters of baptism, we thank you for that. And we thank you for everything that goes on tonight because we're committing it to you. We want you to be exalted and praised among us. And thank you for each person who is here, each one who is known by you, each one who is loved by you and cared for by you. You know everything there is about us. And thank you that we can cast all of our cares on you because you do care for us. So we thank you for all that you have in store for us now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then it goes on to say, And forget not all his benefits. And perhaps that was in the mind of the songwriter that said 10,000 reasons are probably not enough to communicate all of our thanks to the Lord. We're going to have you sing with this as we stand. And as you're singing, think of those things in your life that are benefits, blessings that God has um given to you and that you're aware of, and allow that to help you express back to him a real meaning of blessing the Lord for all he's done. Stand with us and we'll sing.
Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I worship Your holy song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes bless the Lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your about friends today and and uh, 
friends will always let you down sometimes. Some are better at that than others, but um, there's one friend that's never going to let you down, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he's always just what we need, just enough, just what is most important for us in our experiences. And this song, I think, is trying to communicate a bit of that. Think about the way the Lord has been enough for you as we sing it.
friends, I'm sure. Greet someone you know and then greet somebody that you don't know and make a new friend. Okay, good. I'm glad you're finding your places back. In front of you, there's a hymnal in the rack. If you'll find that hymnal and turn to number 281 and just kind of a brief song about what we have as believers in Christ, the unity that's there and the unity that comes as a result and because of love that we have for the Lord and for each other. And uh, you've been standing a while. I'll let you remain seated as we sing these two songs, two verses of this song. We are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirit to the spirit of God. We are one in the bond of love. Let us sing now. Good evening, everyone. My name is Bill Harris. I'm on the Board of Trustees, and it's my privilege tonight to lead us in our offering prayer. 
It's our custom before our offering here to pray each week for one of our missionaries. And tonight, I'll be praying for Wes and Cindy Williamson. On the back of the program that you may have received when you came in, there's a little uh, short paragraph about them. They serve in Honduras, and they've just transitioned from one type of ministry as a camp director in the middle of the country to a different region uh, where they're just sort of scoping out and understanding what their mission will be in this new area. And if, uh, if, if you didn't know, Becca Williamson, one of their daughters, is, is here in the area attending college. She sings with us in the choir, so it's, we get to see her every week and hear some of her prayer requests. So you can pray for the Williamsons as two of their daughters are here in the United States for college, if you'll join me together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to gather together to worship you. We thank you for all these guests that are here. And Lord, we just ask that you would help this service to glorify you and to be pleasing to you. We thank you for all those who have come in uh, obedience to be baptized, and we pray for their family members here, and thank you for bringing them here. Lord, we lift up to you tonight, Wes and Cindy Williamson, serving you in Honduras. We thank you for their willingness to change and be flexible in the mission field. We pray your blessing upon them as they've recently moved to a new home and a new ministry. They've have some of their kids who are away. Lord, we just ask that you would bless their ministry there, lead them and guide them and give them wisdom and discernment on how they can engage in the community where you've placed them. Lord, we just hope that you would uh, hold them in your hand there in Honduras as we know you will and pray that you would allow them to minister to the, the people where you've placed them. We pray your blessing upon their children, pray particularly for Becca here, that you'll help us to encourage her as she's away from home. Lord, we thank you for this offering as well that we're about to take. Lord, we pray your blessing upon it, that you would use it, multiply it, give us wisdom as we use the resources that you've given us here at our church. We just ask that you would help us as we minister and worship in this way. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'll be doing an old um, Gaither song this evening. And uh, my voice is a little tired, so I'm going to be doing the chorus first, first, and then a couple of verses. When I get back to the chorus, uh, the words will come up, and I would love for you guys to stand and join me, and we'll sing through the chorus twice at the end.
Christ who was slain on the cross has the power to change lives today for he changed me completely a new life is mine that is why by the cross I will stay One more hymn together about our friend Jesus Christ, the best model for a friend we could have. If you have your hymnal there, turn to, and I didn't write down the number here, oh my goodness, Jesus is all the world to me, I'll find it real quickly, 510, thank you, 510, Jesus is all the world to me, stand, there's four verses, but goes along, so we'll sing them all. Stand with me and sing.
needed. In just a few moments, we'll be taking a look together at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. And I'd like to read those verses right now. We're studying 1 Samuel on Sunday nights, and we have come to this particular part of the Scriptures, which talks about David and Jonathan. We know a lot about David. We know a lot about Jonathan, and their friendship is a classic friendship. And we trust that tonight the Lord is going to show us something about being the best kind of friend that we can be. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt.
Thank you, Nancy. Let's join together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what a great God you are. We thank you for all that has been previous to this moment, thinking in terms of the Lord Jesus being the great friend. What a friend we do have in the Lord Jesus. We pray that in our friendships that we'll catch glimpses from time to time of the perfect friend. And in the meantime, you'll help us to be the best friend that we can be because we live in a needy time. There are those who need our encouragement. There are those who need us to be giving rather than try to be receiving all of the time. So help us to be good givers. Help us to be good at loving one another as you've called us to. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. One of the things that we see here is, in one translation we'll call this a one-in-soul friend, or another one we'll call it a one-in-spirit friend. It is a friendship that two individuals have that is something that is very precious. It is a shame, though, sometimes truth becomes unbalanced. We find this sometimes with immature and impulsive Christians, and we also find it with those who are not believers in Christ who seem to have an agenda of one sort or another. And what happens is that a biblical principle or a situation in the Scriptures that is clearly described is taken beyond its limits. In one sense, it's as if a pendulum is swinging too far in one direction. So we try to compensate instead of having the balance in the middle, the equilibrium that God would have for us, the truth is taken to one extreme or the other. In this area of friendship that we're looking at tonight, we see the need for a proper, balanced, rightly dividing the word of truth approach. Because often what we see is the LGBT community, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details and that sort of thing because there are a lot of children here this evening, but the LGBT community uses David and Jonathan's friendship as justification for some improper relationships that are going on. That's one extreme. And then the other extreme is those who will be unloving and who will be hateful toward those who feel that way when the truth should be in the middle. The truth of God is very, very clear that there are certain things that are sinful. There are many of them. And there's no reason for us to go the other extreme and not be showing love and caring for those who may be violating some of those principles. So we've got to be very careful that we balance truth the right way. And that's something that we want to be sure to do here when we look at David and Jonathan. There is nothing wrong with close same-sex relationships. Nothing wrong with that at all. But some have made that something that's bad. Some have made that something that you can't even have a good close relationship without people judging that or criticizing or complaining or saying they're revolted by it and that sort of thing. So we want to look at David and Jonathan not as a justification or a defense for something that is wrong, but as something that is very, very right in the proper circles and in the right way scripturally. So I want to make three observations about their friendship right at the outset, three observations that we see in these first four verses And the first one is that it seems to have grown quite abruptly. Their friendship was something that was not planned. It was not something that was cultivated. It was not something that seemingly was growing. There's a conversation that David had with King Saul at the end of chapter 17. So chapter 18 starts out, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that would be David, as soon as David finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David 
And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, seemingly, that was at the end of a conversation that David had with Saul that Jonathan observed. Maybe there was something beforehand. Maybe there was some kind of a a, a prior meeting. But a lot of things seem to have occurred very abruptly here at the outset of chapter 18. It must have been a long conversation, or at least long enough for Jonathan to observe that he and David were two of a kind. Now, look with me for just a moment at how similarly, similarly they looked at God. They had the same view of God. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6, just back a few chapters, 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6, very interesting to see Jonathan. Jonathan was going single-handedly, that is, with his armor-bearer single-handedly, against a detachment of the Philistines, the enemy of the Jewish people at that time. And it says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing. And he says, As soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. That's how much Jacob's life was entwined with his son Benjamin. And that was the story of David and Jonathan. A very tight-knit, close friendship. A very precious commodity. A very real thing. And then, not only that, we also read that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's in chapter 20, verse 17. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26, David said to Jonathan, and this was posthumously, because by this time Jonathan had died in battle, and David was greatly grieved. And he said this, he said, Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Not meaning this in a physical kind of way or a sexual kind of way, just that this was a friendship that was absolutely unique, a one-in-soul or a one-in-spirit relationship that those who are committed to the same God are able to have. Those who know the same Savior, the Lord Jesus, are able to have. The third thing that I'd like to mention here was that their friendship was totally unselfish. It was a giving kind of friendship. We're back in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you look at verse 3, Jonathan made what's called a unilateral covenant. That means it's binding to one part only. He was saying to David, I'm going to do this. It doesn't matter what else happens, what you do or anything else. I am binding myself to you. So he committed himself to David with complete disregard for himself. And Jonathan continued to be a friend to David even when it cost him a whole lot. We're going to see in the ensuing chapters later on as we continue our study in 1 Samuel, Lord willing, uh, at other times after Easter, that it's going to cost Jonathan his father's good favor. Because King Saul does not like David, as it turns out, is very jealous of him, and understands full well that instead of the, the claim to the throne going from Saul down to Jonathan, Jonathan will be bypassed and David will be the next king. Saul understands that, and he doesn't like that at all. And in fact, this is going to cost Jonathan in his relationship with his father. It's going to cost Jonathan also his right to be king. He would have been the next in line to be the king, and it will cost him that. But if you look ahead just a little bit in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 31, something very interesting is taking place here. It tells us 
And remember, we're ahead now a couple chapters. This is now when Saul is very angry with David. He wants to kill David. It says, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan because Jonathan was still David's friend, even though Saul was trying to kill David. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. You know, parents do that sometimes. They blame the other parent for the way the kid's behaving or acting up or something. He says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And then Jonathan spoke up for David, and the next thing you know, Saul is hurling a spear at his own son, trying to kill him in his rage because Jonathan is still being loyal to David. So you can see this friendship was very unselfish. Jonathan continued to be a friend even when it cost him his father's good favor, his right to be king, almost cost him his life because his father was throwing the spear at him. And then back in chapter 18, you see in verse 4 that it cost him some other things because in this covenant he made with David, he then, it says, stripped himself of his robe that was on him. He gave that to David. He gave him his armor. He gave him his sword. He gave him his bow. He gave him his belt. And I believe he would have given him his baseball card collection if they had any back then. Um, that's the next dearest thing I could think of anyway. But what he's doing is that he keeps giving and giving and giving in his friendship to David. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture that's going on there. Well, we want to learn about being a friend God's way. Wouldn't you like to have a friend like Jonathan? Or even better yet, wouldn't you like to be a friend like Jonathan? Wouldn't you like to be a friend to someone or some others in this particular way where it's all about giving and not receiving? So we want to learn about being a friend God's way. We're not interested in what our friends should be like to us, but what we should be like to them. And it tells us in the Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. It's a race to be second. I'm going to do whatever I can. Some of the other translations say, in honor preferring one another. If I'm a friend, my first thought is of you, not of me. And how many friends are there like that? Maybe not a whole lot. Philippians describes the same thing where it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's hard for us to do. Would someone want you to be his or her friend? Would they see in you these kind of qualities of friendship? Would they want you to be that kind of a friend? Or are you a taker, not a giver? We always have to ask ourselves some of these hard questions. Are you a taker rather than a giver in friendships? Do you drain other people or do you enervate them? You know, it's possible that there are not many good friends around anywhere because selfishness is so, so strong. Unless God's Holy Spirit is working within us to fight against that selfishness, if we go by our own human nature, 
Even the good things we do for other people are self-serving because we want them to come back to us. We do good so that we can receive good in turn. The story that I want to tell about a man by the name of George Vest, he was practicing law, and I've told this story one other time. Some of you may remember this. He's a former United States senator from Missouri, and he was defending at that time a farmer whose dog was involved in a minor damage suit. And here's part of his speech. He says, the one absolutely unselfish friend that man can have in this selfish world The one that never proves ungrateful or treacherous is his his dog. And that's something that's, that's something that, sorry for some of you that know this dog, but um, this is my son Dan and his dog, appropriately named Oreo. You can probably see that in him. At this time, the dog was 105 pounds and extremely loyal to one person, extremely loyal to Dan, to the point that you don't want to try to get between the two of them. In fact, you don't even want to put Dan in any kind of a threatening position. This dog is almost obsessed with protecting Dan from whatever it may be. He chases bears up trees. He he does all sorts of things, and I've mentioned Oreo before. But going back to this speech... The one absolutely unselfish friend that man can have in this selfish world, the one that never proves ungrateful or treacherous, is his dog. When all other friends desert, he remains. When riches take wings and reputation falls to pieces, he is as constant in his love as the sun in its journey through the heavens. If fortune drives the master forth an outcast in the world, friendless and homeless, The faithful dog asks no higher privilege than that of accompanying him to guard against danger, to fight against his enemies. And when the last scene of all comes and death takes the master in his embrace and his body is laid away in the cold ground, no matter if all other friends pursue their way, there by the graveside will be found the noble dog, his head between his paws, his sad eyes alert and watchful, still faithful and true, even in death. With this impassioned plea, Vest won a favorable verdict from the jury. It was a very flattering tribute to dogs, wasn't it? But it didn't speak very well of human friendships, did it? If to find an example of friendship, we've got to go to the dog world rather than the people world. That's sad commentary on the kind of friends that sometimes we are. God has a different perspective on being a friend than is commonly propagated today. What are you looking for in a friend? More importantly, what are you looking to be a friend? Bible warns us that there are dangers in certain relationships. Certain relationships with those who are believers in Christ as well as those who are not. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 to 16 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That means... You cannot have a one-in-spirit or a one-in-soul relationship with somebody who does not share the most important thing in all the world with you. That's something that God says, that's something we avoid. Proverbs chapter 22, uh, very interesting. It says there, and this would be for believers and non-believers, it says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Why? Lest... You learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. What's it saying? 
Stay away from the people that are angry people and enraged people because it's infectious. You can catch that. You can become the same way. You don't want to feed yourself that kind of a thing. So the scripture is teaching us that there are certain relationships to avoid. It's also going to tell us there are certain ones that we should espouse. But 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. In Psalm 1, 1 to 3, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Proverbs 13.20, The companion of fools will suffer harm. You can see how important the friendships are. And in this case, it's the negative side of it. Proverbs 18.24, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Strong message there is that a man of many companions may make friends too easily and indiscriminately. And we shouldn't do that. When that happens, it's to our own destruction. From all over the Bible comes a warning, and that's to choose your friendships very, very carefully. You want to choose a friend and choose to be a friend with the four marks of a friend that we shared once before when we were studying Proverbs a number of years ago. The four marks of a friend. The first one is constancy. You know your friend is going to be with you through thick or thin. It says in Proverbs seventeen seventeen, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Love of a brother for a brother is often used to illustrate this important point. And those of you that have had brothers understand this. I understand this very well. My brother and I could squabble. We could fight. We could fuss with each other. We could argue with each other. We could do a lot of things. But don't let anybody else try to do that to my brother. Those of you that are brothers, you understand what I'm talking about. There is a bond there that is a very, very real one. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. It's that kind of friendship that we would like to espouse, the kind of constancy that is there. No one likes to have a fair-weather friend, so no one should be a fair-weather friend either. There's a USA Today article some time ago that portrayed the courage of true friendship, and you've got to be able to see constancy in this friendship. And I hope this doesn't frighten the children, um, but... Um, They've seen worse, right? It's a mountain lion, and it's a, uh, it's a mountain lion that's on the prowl, as they are. And the story is about a mountain lion. It's a girl by the name of Anne Hegel and Debbie Nichols. They were friends. They were mountain biking on a wilderness trail near Mission Viejo, California, when a 110-pound mountain lion sprang from the brush, pounced on Anne's back, dragged her off literally by the head. Nichols screamed for help, and then she grabbed her friend's legs, trying to free her and engaging in a desperate tug of war with the cat while the other cyclist threw rocks at the mountain lion until ultimately it fled. Jackie Van Warkham said she was riding behind Tijel and Nichols and later spoke to Nichols at the hospital. She had some blood on her face, she definitely showed signs of a major struggle, Van Workham said. 
She was shaking, trembling. She said, I was not going to let go. I was not going to let go. And she described the tenacity of the mountain lion saying, this guy would not let go. He had a hold of her face. But the tenacity of the cat was overcome by the faithfulness of a friend. She continued, I just told her, I'm never letting go. And she didn't intend to let go, and she didn't. Constancy, the mark of a friend, through thick and thin. There are fair-weather friends mentioned in the book of Proverbs. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Proverbs 19.4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Now you can see that it, the friendship lasts as long as the money does. That's, that's a very sad commentary. Proverbs 19, verses 6 and 7. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Where have all my friends gone? They went with the money. What passes for friendship is often very brittle. It's a fickleness that cools when the friend is out of sight or when the friend no longer is as useful to me as he once was or if the friendship is going to cost me something. I cool very quickly when the friend disagrees with me about something or annoys me or has a bad day. That's a typical friend, but that's not a good friend. Real friends love at all times. They cut each other's slack. They cover over an offense. question is, how are you at loving at all times? Then you, do you love your friends even when you're discouraged yourself? Or do you use that as a, an excuse or a reason? I can treat them any way I want to because I'm having a bad time. And it's all about you instead of about your friend. That's not the mark of a good friendship. Well, four marks of a friend. We're going to go rapidly through the rest of these. Um, secondly, second mark of friendship is candor. And by that I mean that we tell it like it is. We speak the truth in love. A real friend will do that. A real friend will not allow us to be headed in a wrong direction without doing everything in his or her power to help us. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Did you catch that? Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And that's what a friend will do from time to time, as lovingly as possible. It's been written quite often that General Ulysses S. Grant had a drinking problem at various times of his life. General Grant's chief of staff, the lawyer John Rawlins, was closer to Grant than any other during the war. It was to Rawlins that Grant gave his pledge that he would abstain from intoxicating liquors. When he broke that pledge, Rawlins went to him and with great earnestness pleaded with him for the sake of himself and for the sake of the entire nation to refrain from drinking because Grant was not a good leader when he was drinking. Faithful were the wounds of that friend. There's a statue of Grant in Washington sitting on his horse in the middle of a great battle scene in front of the Capitol. There's also an ordinary statue of Rawlins in Rawlins Park at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. Without that less-known man, Grant would not have been kept on his horse, and he would not be on that horse today. The way I have it pictured on the screen, you have Rollins, and he's got Grant's 
back, as he always did. And that's what friends do. Candor. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-three: Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. It's easy to say what somebody wants us to say. It's hard to say what somebody doesn't want us to say, but that's the loving thing to do if it's the truth. The third mark of a friend is counsel. It's helping with advice. It's helping with counsel. A couple of verses in Proverbs. These are from the NIV, Proverbs 27.9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. From a trusted friend, somebody will tell me what I need to hear. Proverbs 27.17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. No, we don't go around looking for confrontation. We don't go overboard in sharing counsel, but when it's necessary, we're prepared to do both. Final mark of a friend is courtesy. That may surprise us. Final mark of a friend is courtesy. And what that means is we just don't take advantage of each other. This verse, again from the NIV in Proverbs twenty-five seventeen: Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you, and he will hate you. Get the picture that is there? Too much of you, and he will hate you. Familiarity, they say, breeds contempt. Don't abuse a friendship. Don't own a friend. A couple more verses. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 18 and 19 says, Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. In other words, there's the courtesy of knowing our limits. Deceit is not joking. Crying wolf catches up to you, and we've got an individual who's not being that good friend. In Proverbs 27:14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be, it will be counted as cursing. That's the courtesy part of friendship. And it could be a loud voice. It could be a phone call. I don't know what's early for you, but... Somebody calls you real early in the morning when you're sleeping. Um, it's courteous not to do that. So the marks of a friend, constancy, candor, counsel, courtesy. That's what we want to be. That's not what we want to look for in others. That's what we want to be. And I'd encourage us, we're going to hear a lot more in our studies of First Samuel about David and Jonathan. And when we think of them and we think of friendships, let's ask ourselves always the question, what kind of a friend am I? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the practical wisdom that we find every time we open the pages of this great book, your, your word. Thank you that it teaches us even the practical skill of being the right kind of friend. And I pray that you would help us to study your word so that you can use us in so many ways, ways that we wouldn't even expect. And again, we thank you for the greatest friend of all that we have in the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.